0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Barstoolers Premier League Podcast. We're back again with another episode. If you're new to the podcast, I am Connell, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by my uber knowledgeable co-hosts michael james and ronan so it's been again another while we used to record the podcast pretty much on the same day every week the amount of premier league that is happening at the moment is dizzying so it, it's difficult to kind of know when to do the podcast so i'm not sure when we last did the podcast at this stage it was probably was it a week ago 10 days ago it would have
0: been a week ago but there's been two rounds of fixtures since we've done it so yeah plenty all right. of ball
1: I remember saying on last week's, or well, the last episode, that United had a couple of bad results and that Liverpool had a couple of good results. But again, all these things, just they just keep changing and it's probably a good place to talk about that big game at Anfield. It ended up being 4-1 City. Did, did you see that coming? Because it seemed like you were coming back and then obviously that that home loss to Brighton knocked you back another bit. Did you see 4-1 coming?
2: No.
0: Yes, I didn't see four one coming because I switched it off after City scored
3: second. <laughs> so I switched off after yeah got the yellow card because I just couldn't do it. I could not do another week of watching Liverpool play that kind of football.
0: It's very funny. I didn't really care. Like afterwards, I was more uh, happy because I had a good fancy football scores with Gunduan and Foden in my squad, mm-hmm. so I wasn't terribly bothered. Because it's now Champions That's League the are online. Yeah, Champions League are nothing now. So have letter in Europe doesn't matter. League's done. Nothing to worry about. Does that off, off the next season? Champions League heading the box, Job done.
2: You're lying if you said you've seen that coming. Oh, I you're didn't very know. much in the game. No, I know you didn't. Sorry. But anyone who does, because it was, fair enough, you could see a loss. But the fashion in which we lost was incredible. Like we were very much in that game for granted a boring score, draw, or even one the loss. Because that Salah penalty is somewhat debatable. But, um, Oh, just it was, it's just miserable. We were never winning that game, it was just going to be a standard enough city draw, and that's not enough to turn the pace, to t- turn the tide in the title race. It's not going to knock the wind out of city sales. Um, we're going to continue to have funky results, so yeah, it is what it is.
3: We move, yeah, just very uninspiring football once again. Um, I don't know why you didn't give one of the new center halves a game, I probably would have played Quebec alongside Fabinho. I don't. I know the argument could be made that you need experienced players in there, but I wouldn't be starting. I know it was. I know the goals weren't really the fault of Fabinho or Henderson, but I would have given one of the centre halves a game. I just think I. I know I said this before. I just I, Thiago is a good player, but he's he's been poor since he's come back into the side. I think I. I really don't think. I think he slows down the game too much sometimes in the midfield and. He gives away an awful amount of fouls a lot of the times where it's, it's not necessary at all. And a lot of people seem to love that aggression. It, it annoys me quite a bit. I don't think he does a huge amount. He's I, Well, he does. He's good, but I don't think he's done a huge amount since he's started regularly inside.
1: Yeah, I think it's Liverpool have one win where he started. Am I right in saying that? Or maybe two since he came in. Obviously, he hasn't played that much because of injury, but it's not a great start.
3: Too, yeah, and he's not won a game at Anfield yet either.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: but FA agenda against him because he we should have got the winner in the Everton game where Richarlison killed him and uh, also that didn't go down to win the books and he came off injured, so it's it's been spiraling since there. But he hasn't been the game changer that we perhaps thought maybe we were finding it hard to adapt to his uh strengths of his game. I don't know,
3: but I don't think we have to adapt to his strengths of his game because last Klopp year we did not talk about it though.
2: Klopp was apparently talking about it. He's, like, I know, we, he's I don't learned think we, our
3: football and we've learned I, I don't think we have to learn his football I think we proved last year We got 98 points last year, 97 points the year before um, Obviously it was unlikely We were ever going to keep that level up on the pitch But it's um, I don't think Liverpool have to I, I don't think Liverpool should be building their style of play around him Because we've not done that for two seasons And we've won a Premier League and a Champions League I think
0: it's too harsh Putting it all all the blame on him Like I think he's been good I'm not, giving, think, I'm not
3: putting a on blame him. It's just I don't think he'd be brilliant. I think it's just not having
0: Henderson and Fabinho in him. I think a lot has been, there's a lot of pressure on him at the minute because he doesn't have that other midfield backup. Like if Henderson and Fabinho were to come in with him, I think his style of play would be a lot better. It'd be a lot more suited to lead, have more freedom because two lads would be the ones tracking back, defending, because he's the one having to do it and he just gets fouled away a lot. It's probably the only downside in this game.
2: I think he gets away with those fouls a lot more than other players, though. He's got that wee niggly foul. I know he did get booked the other day, but I th- he, by and large, gets away at once just because he's He's saucy. not that type of player. Absolutely. That's the narrative around him. But I think it's quite good in a sense. Obviously, it's a bad situation overall, but the likes of Curtis Jones has proved himself quite well. Like He played well in that game. He's not been a problem, and he would have definitely got less game time had our midfield situation and centre-back situation been fine. So that's a plus for me going forward.
1: Yeah, I think you, you brought in Thiago to provide you with a different option. And I think possibly even in training, you know, Klopp's looking at him and coaches are looking at him and saying, like, he has to play, like he, like he's, he's so good. And I think there is going to be teeth and problems because he is very different to what Liverpool are used to. They're used to industrious, you know, fit midfielders, because they don't need any playmaking from midfields to just get it out to the fullbacks. That's their, their whole playing style. So, uh, yeah, I think there is going to be some teething issues, and you've probably seen that with Thiago, but it, it'll
0: improve over time. I think whenever we talk about Liverpool the last few weeks especially, we always talk about how bad Liverpool have been, but City are just class. I The last few weeks, I've really liked watching Phil Foden play And Gundogan, the two of them are class. Gundogan was looking for that top bracket with the penalty, but he ended up getting his revenge earlier on. But then Alisson did have the two mistakes, but City are, they're just very good. Ruben Diaz made a slight mistake for the penalty, which could have been seen as soft with slight drag on Salah's arm, but that City team is, they are monsters. They are different, different gravy at the minute.
2: They're not infallible though, because I was watching that first half quite attentively and they were getting criticized for moving the ball very sluggishly in possession. Liverpool just weren't capitalizing it. Like Liverpool's press is nowhere to be seen. We're just walking off the ball, which we sort of aided City strengths in that in that fact. And once City kicked into gear, then we were absolutely rinsed. Like Allison is that's just freakish. whatever is going on with him. I I you can't account for that. So I think that game in theory shouldn't have been a boring draw. Or City sneak it. But like, City will go on and
1: storm the league. It's just the uh, inevitability. Yeah, that's what I have it down on in the pre-podcast notes. City's inevitability. It's, they're just going to gonna win the league almost by default because at times this season they haven't been spectacular. I don't want to seem like I'm criticising them, but they've just got far less faults than any other team. United you know, are capable of putting on long runs uh, unbeaten, but... The match against Everton, for example, it's probably a good barometer of where United are at or or what United can be. In fact, that we played really well in that game. Everton played pretty poorly, and we still didn't manage to win. Like all we needed to do going into the that game, or as it turned out, was don't concede three goals, and they still did. Like I think someone that compared it to you know seeing out those last moments is that scene in Austin Powers where he has so much time to move out of the steamroller's way uh, and he just doesn't he's just there and he's just screaming even though he could just like step out of the way like it's so easy to avoid and you still didn't do it it's, it's a little bit of a sidetrack here but yeah like I, I don't see how city don't win the league and also just a little note that i forgot to say at the start of the podcast i think there is a, a change of tact in the way we're sort of running the podcasts youtube if you're listening to this on spotify or apple podcast there'll be no change there the full podcast will go up But whether as on the YouTube, we're just going to put up clips. We may or may not put up the full podcast as well. But if you're just looking for short, few minutes clips, sound bites uh, talking about current affairs in the Premier League, make sure to go to our YouTube channel and check that out. Uh, But another thing I want to talk about now—we obviously talked about it on the podcast last week—got a little bit of backlash for it. uh, But we were talking about Tuchel being appointed at Chelsea. Now, at that stage, he was only two games in. Now he's four games in, so it's a slight, still a small sample size. But what have you made of Tuchel's Chelsea so far? Uh, you couldn't say it's been a bad start.
3: No, but I watched the Spurs game and it was very uninspiring. But, I, but Chelsea were very comfortable on that game, though. Defensively, they look solid enough. be interesting to see how they survive without Thiago Silva. But they seemed, again, they seemed comfortable up against Spurs. But again, we've been saying it for the last few months about Spurs that they're not very
2: and that um, was no Kane Spurs wasn't it Roland
3: yeah no Kane Spurs but again they're not the most uh, threatening going forward well they are threatening going forward but without Kane they weren't um, they, don't, they didn't offer the same threat that they usually offer
2: you could say by the Chelsea game they're quite favourable games that even Frank would have hoped to get uh, 9 eight, or 12 points from or whatever like potentially uh, so they've been defensively solid I've liked the shake up there's been a lot of moving parts on that Chelsea side that haven't got used, like you're looking at your Azpilicueta leadership qualities, I think there's still a place for him. Maybe semi-regularly, not as much as Tuch has been playing him. And of course, the need to address the centre-half issue, but uh, it's it's, an, it's a refreshing shake-up, and I think you will get a tune-out of Alonso for a time to come, but I think eventually he will show his true terrorist qualities and it'll start to disintegrate a bit more,
0: you know? like There's no doubt that it has been a good start. Like He's had good defensive records so far, and they've won... But they haven't been playing like United or City. Like they've played a hopeless Spurs team. They've played Burnley, they've played Wolves, and they've played Sheffield, like some of the worst teams in the league. So it would be premature to be like, Jesus, this Tuchel fellow is a success. So he still has the likes of Man City to play. And you just know Man City are more than likely going to walk through them like they've done with Chelsea's in the past. Simple as.
3: Yeah, I think he he has brought in some welcome changes to that backline though, like been quite playing again, and he's got Hudson Odoi playing regularly now as well, and he's proved to be probably Chelsea's brightest player going forward the last three or four weeks to really get locked under Frank. Don't know why. Obviously, I think we touched on this in the last podcast. That there were a lot of players just kind of frozen out by Frank, like he just didn't really talk, so maybe he wasn't part of his main 18-man squad. Like even Rudiger's come back in, and he's done a decent enough job, it would seem. So we're not going to say, oh, he's only, he, he can't say he's had easy enough games, but he, he's still done a decent enough job in the early days.
2: Yes, yeah, sorry, just to add there, Tuch was in a really, really weird predicament as manager, because I'm looking at Mourinho's Tottenham squad. They've got Kane and Son, two of the top 10 players of the league, you'd say in a totem sense. Absolute world-class talent, brilliant. Uh, Liverpool, Klopp is uh, a similar squad to deal with. Pep's just got a, Mad Chester riches, But Tuchel's got a load of weird players like Christian Pulisic, just guys that are in and around the fringes that never ever make that impact that you're looking for. They have Werner that they have to play into form just by the nature of Werner at the minute, just to have to give him a bit more time. Havertz, where is he? They have so many players that either aren't doing it or maybe won't do it and they're all around a similar quality level i feel like they've got a squad of lucas moras and they just might <laughs> look a bit better than they are maybe i don't know if that's a fair comment or not but i just think it's a weird squad that chelsea squad very weird
1: i think i think you do have a point but i think with christian pulisic i think he's i think he's a top player i think he is quite good maybe not no this fancy
3: football bias there no
1: well, no, because he's been bad for me. <laughs> but I, I think he is a very good player. He's very that quick. Stop he's dribbling. Me. <laughs> his dribbling is top notch. Just you know, we got a little bit of pushback from some Chelsea fans, and I, I want to make my uh, my stance clear on it this week on, on Pudilic at least.
3: Do he's very sad, Harry. They're not the most exciting. I don't think he's that exciting for football. Like. I've never been overly impressed by any game He's played. Oh, his dribbling's class. Remember him against City last year. I'm he might be
1: get...
0: exciting to watch, but he's not a very exciting person. He did a video on the GQ uh, YouTube, his top 10 essentials, and uh, he's just not a very exciting person.
1: He's yeah, he's very boring. boring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but like on the point of us getting criticism from
2: certain Chelsea fans, whatever, they're all tight of opinions, we do, I personally, my personal line is not the Barstooler's line. I think Tuchel will not be given the necessary parts or the time he needs to succeed, like a Klopp or a Ferguson or any other manager you look throughout in history, the best managers, bar Pep, because he's got the best squad and the most money, uh, he will be given the, the tools to succeed. Simple as.
1: Yeah, I think maybe even you could point to Solskjaer at United. There's a couple of moments where he definitely could have been sacked, but he's, you know, he's quite good at riding the wave and he, he's still there and he's that's just not going to happen at Chelsea.
0: I'd have to agree with you there, James. The whole Pump and dump of Chelsea managers of recent years Like it's serious If that's just the narrative of Chelsea Football Club The last decade They get a manager, he's alright for a year or two Then they sack him when he has a bad run of form And I feel like That's probably going to happen to Tuchel That's my opinion anyways
1: Um, Feel free to disagree But you know, it is what it is Get your thoughts down below Absolutely Uh, But another thing that I want to talk about is Sheffield United, because they've had a little bit of an upturn of, uh, in fortune, you know, you're kind of all writing them off, saying that they had absolutely no hope, I think they have a little bit more than that now, uh, as far as I know, I th- they're still 10 points from safety, but with 15 games to go, I mean, do you think they can overturn that, Did they have a chance?
0: Sorry, I, they're, they're 12 points from from safety, don't want to have you with the, the wrong stats here, lads, so I just checked there. Uh, the next, they're on 11 points and Burnley have 23. But Burnley also have a game in hand and so do
3: Fulham.
1: Yeah, it's probably not helping, but Brighton have won a couple of games recently against Tottenham
3: Liverpool and Liverpool no less. I just feel like that bottom tree is kind of just set in stone. Because like Brighton and Burnley are still down there and Newcastle are kind of down there as well but they won uh, they won two games recently so that's kind of helped their, their cause. So I just feel like Brighton and Brighton and Burnley. Well, whatever Brighton, I can't see Burnley dropping in because Deitch is just so good at managing Burnick. He's been he's been around the block. How long have been Burnley in the league now? That they get relegated, four or five years. I just think they're too good and they're too well managed by Deitch. I think just Brighton have probably just a wee bit more quality and the fact that they're twelve points clear of the drop zone as well. I just feel like the teams that are just above the relegation zone, they're just too good to fall below the tree that are in there.
2: Yeah, I fully agree with your own. I, I think there's a narrative around Sheffield United every game, and I feel like it's from the very start of the season. You can see this narrative oh, if they'd only just score a goal, if they'd only just score a goal, it's one goal margins. If they'd only just, it's like, well, it's football. That's the way it is. They've been massively fouled out this season. Aaron Ramsdale, can he just stop smiling? Like, it's he just needs to play with a depressed mug in his face because I see him. He could, I don't know. He, he he could catch this easiest ball into him. Rolled in with no speed. He'd spill it. He'd make an absolute meal off it. To be three, uh, three shots off the crossbar, off the post. Come back out again, out for a corner. And he'd just be, he'd be loving it. He'd be giving it the big ones, thinking he's the man. Uh, terrible footballer. Uh, Rian Brewster, unfortunately, has not happened for him. I still think it could happen for him at, at another club, or maybe even later down the line this season. But they just don't have the goals. They rely on players like Bogle to step up and. They've got a lot of character and charisma. They play for a while, there's no doubt, but just I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's enough.
0: Yeah, they are probably the most hopeless squad to watch. Uh, they might grind out results of recent, but yeah, Ramsdale, him giving, giving it all after he's tipped a simple save around the post. He has the same sort of personality as Jordan Pickford, but he's just way worse, and Pickford isn't even that good. Uh, I said last week with Mendy, but yeah, Ramsdale, he couldn't save a Microsoft Word document. And going forward, like, they tried strengthening the summer with Brewster and Oli Burke, but to them have just been bad. Just Dizzy comes up with the odd goal. And, yeah, like, it's all one-two goal margins, and it's, like, the what-ifs. It's, like, what if Liverpool won every game? What if City won every game? Like, these are... All these uh, comparisons, like, oh, it's just ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I, I know. I think they're probably a little bit better, like... Obviously, they've won three games in the in recent weeks, but up until that point, they they had zero wins, and everyone was potentially talking about the worst Premier League team of all time. I felt like they were getting very hard done by because I know it's you know you know if I mean anti balls sort of thing, you know if they could just you know turn around these one-goal deficits, you know. Uh, that they they could be a lot of a lot better. But I think there is some truth in it. They weren't getting battered every week. They were they were consistently losing by one goal. And I'm not trying to say that they'll stay up because I, I just don't think they will. I don't see who could potentially drop into that bottom three. I, I, I might have said Brighton a couple of weeks ago. Um, but even they, they they do get quite unlucky under Potter. They play some good football and they're pretty much always underperforming how how they should be, I think. And now they've got a couple of good wins. So I, I certainly don't see them dropping in. Newcastle seem to just pick up points out of nowhere. I don't see them dropping in. You know, Burnley, I certainly don't see dropping in. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm talking Sheffield United up a lot here for a man who thinks they're still going to get relegated. But uh, I, something to keep an eye on, maybe.
3: I know we're not going into that match, but uh, just briefly, Newcastle winning with nine men for 20 minutes against Southampton. that is just peak Barclays. Very very good results. I like that. Newcastle and um, the teams in the bottom of three aren't being helped by the fact that Newcastle and Brighton have both won two games in a row, I think, or they've won two or three games recently. Um so it's just like every time the ones that are in the bottom three seem to pick up points, the ones that are outside it seem to do it as well. Um they just kind of always seem to be stuck at that kind of points gap.
1: Speaking of a team who's stuck in mediocrity at the moment and have been for maybe quite a while. Arsenal, they look to be getting a bit of run of form going. I was watching Hugh Wizzy, who I'm quite a big fan of, and he was talking about the run being ended, the run being six games, unbeaten, six. Uh, But since then, they have lost two games. They lost away to Wolves in a bizarre game in which they also finished the game at nine men. And then they lost to Aston Villa, which... Is possibly a little bit more forgivable, but I mean, if you're expecting Aston Villa to beat Arsenal, that's probably indictment of where they at, where they are, where they are at at the moment. Where do you see Arsenal finishing? Do you like they're pretty? They're mid table, aren't they? They're not definitely not getting Champions League. I think
0: that's the the one certainty, and they're not getting relegated. But I can't say whether they will get Europa League or not. Like it's a fine line because the Premier League is so close this year and really hard to call who's finishing where, maybe apart from who's winning and then the three teams getting relegated. But apart from that, West Ham have played really well. So Tampton have been really good in spells. Leicester are class. Chelsea are in better form. It's really, really hard to call this year. It's very unpredictable. I
2: like the unpredictability of the league right now, but ultimately the all the viewers are drawn to the title race and the relegation fight. So if there's huge gaps in both of those in both of those cases, it's not great, is it? Um, Arsenal, though, I looked at that Wolves game. They, it was a bit unlucky. You could see Arteta was trying to get his ideas across. You could actually see that Saka hits the post. I believe Um they're playing some some good enough stuff, but Leno just has a moment of madness. Louise is highly unlucky in the same weekend where Bednarek gets sent off, and that red card is rescinded. I don't think the same is true for Louise's, but pull quite harsh. Obviously, Delano, Moment of Madness. So I think they do they do beat Wolves because Wolves are having a shock I them. And I do think, all things considered, with 11 men, they beat Wolves. Very important caveat, obviously. And then Villa are very good. So I think the Arsenal fans were getting a bit too gassed with themselves. Just need to come back down to reality a bit. They're not quite the top six team when you think teams like Leicester are bagging goals. Son and Kane now for Spurs. They might just miss out on the top six. I do think they're mid-table. But it's nothing to be ashamed of. I think, hold on to our ted it's uh give a bit more time another window uh
3: just like briefly on what you're saying there about the people being attracted to the obviously the relegation fights and the title fights it's it's quite depressing that one of the most open title races in years is going to end up at city walking it and again same series. i know juventus aren't top now but i think they're only three or four points behind now and they were way behind at one stage like If two of the most open title races in years end up with Juve and Man City winning titles, it's just going to be utterly depressing. But yeah, Arsenal didn't do that much wrong, I don't think, against Villa. They just were quite uninspiring. A bit like watching Liverpool recently. Just When they did have the ball, they didn't do much with it. Odegaard came on and he missed, you know, he missed one very good chance. People are saying Lacazette probably could have had a penalty because he was pulled down by the goalkeeper. Again, it just wasn't very inspiring. Like I said, mid-table mediocrity. Maybe
0: uh, they've been put off their game recently because they've seen those videos of William Saliba before the rest of Twitter did. That could have thrown them off their game a good bit.
1: We will not speak of this <laughs> video. Yeah, we Actually, you're only saying there about potentially getting a penalty for being dragged down by Martinez. Martinez replied to him on Twitter being like, you started pushing me first, mate. And he was, <laughs> he's he's bang on. I, I quite enjoyed that. Yeah. But uh, moving on to the next segment, the transfer window, the January transfer window closed in and around this time last week as of recording. And uh, we didn't get right to talking about it on last week's episode. But there was a few select significant transfers. Um, usually we, we try our best not to focus on the big teams on this podcast uh, too much. But unfortunately, three of the major deals do involve Liverpool. And we'll probably talk about them first. So the obvious ones to start off with are the centre-back signings of Ben Davies and Ozan Kabak. Ozan Kabak comes on loan with a potential £15 deal in the summer, and Ben Davies comes in from Preston, uh, the 25-year-old costing £2 million, so a relatively risk-free signing. Do you think this is a no-brainer that you need these centre-backs, or are you surprised that it it took this long because they were last-minute deals?
3: Neither of them are world-class, but we just do need centre-halves. Ben Davies is probably gonna end up being back up and we're probably just gonna Well you'd imagine if one of them's gonna play, it's gonna be It's gonna play alongside Fabinho. I can't see um Fabinho going back into the midfield at all this year. Because Nat Phillips was decent the few times he's played recently. Um but I don't think I think Klopp would prefer to play Fabinho in there. And I know quebec has got a lot more experience, I suppose. I see only twenty one. But again, he's coming from a Schalke team that I've only won once in the last 36, 37 games. But look, we needed centre-half, so it's, it was kind of had to be done.
0: I think it was surprising that it took so long, and then you end up getting two centre-backs and transfer deadline day. That was the main thing that everyone knew and everyone needed, was even one decent centre-back. They could have gotten the business done early in the window, had a bit more time to settle in with the squad. But no, they waited till the last minute. I know Kabak has the potential to be good. But as Roman said, Schalke had a shocking run to the season. And then they're signing a fella from the Championship as well, from Preston. His weaknesses are tackling, apparently. So, like you think a few years ago, we signed Van Dyke in January. That was class. He's the best defender in the world. And now we've signed championship centre-back and centre-back from the worst team in the Bundesliga so I don't know how to think obviously I haven't watched too much or any Bundesliga so I can't be a big advocate of him so yeah that's all I have to say
2: I think this uh stinks of you know the Michael Edwards uh Fanatics going on about how much of a great deal as I've heard people cite that Ben Davies is an Englishman, and now with the Brexit work permit situation, this is a masterstroke. It's no, it's really not. He plays for Preston, he's one and a half million pounds. What is he going to be 50 million next summer with inflation? Uh, so that's the classic Wenger line, isn't it? I'm sorry he did not cost 50 million. Uh, but sidetrack there. Uh, Kabak, I looked at an interesting enough spreadsheet, him compared to Obermecano, and he's actually got better aerial jewels. Won no in the Bundesliga, so he's got good aerial presence. That's something the Liverpool have definitely been lacking. I mean, every other stat is far weaker. Uh, but look, that you could uh, play devil's advocate for him, and say that's the Schalke side that's built around him, that he's forced to do these different things that he's not comfortable with. I think we could be surprised by Ben Davies. Um, I hope to see good things from Kabak but this strikes me as not the A, not the B, but the C and D team signings. You know, they were just on the spreadsheet, Schalke and financial difficulty. We'll grab Cab back, likewise with Preston. So, uh, yeah, I think I hope Liverpool can sign an Obermecano or someone big in the summer and maybe offload someone else. But yeah, that's that's what I my assessment of the situation
3: is. I, I know it I was today Romano tweeted that Liverpool are still in for McCano, but there's a lot of team in there. I think PSG are in now as well, and United are looking up too. In terms of ben davies i i know i posted the screenshot on the twitter where it was it was the who scored i was like this player has no significant strengths weaknesses tackling not what you want to see again not going to judge a player off who scored but not the most encouraging sign when you've never seen the player play before um it, yeah, like that it's it's just it, we just needed to sign center halves and we only signed them because matt had got ruled out for the rest of the season and the board were forced to let klopp sign someone
1: yeah, just a note on Upe Macando there. You said United being interested. Uh, no, yeah, United don't like him. United don't don't about Upe Macando at all. Whether are right or wrong, that's what they seem to believe. Uh, to do like his defensive partner, Ibrahim Kanate, that could be one. But just, that's a little side note. So just to wrap up there about Kabak and Ben Davies, what would you give those signs out of 10? I'd probably give them a the six, just because... There is a degree in quality in just getting in a couple of centre-backs. Yeah, that degree
0: six. Absolute mediocrity, but be grand. Seven.
2: A bit more comfortable with them,
0: yeah.
1: six as well. Okay, so going on to the next deal, also concerning Liverpool, except it's a departure, Taki Minamino going to Southampton on loan. It's a little bit of a head scratch already, isn't it? Because he seemed like a decent player and probably a better option then someone like Divyuk Origi, maybe even Jordan Shaqiri, and he's going to a Southampton team, which are already quite good, and probably sued him, so what's your thoughts on him departing?
0: Uh, Raging he's gone and not Origi, Origi is an absolute terrorist on the football pitch, I know back in the day, he was the hero for the club, he was a corner taking quickly Rigi. he scored in the Champions League final, and he scored against Everton, and we adored him, but he is absolutely dreadful. Minamino, he's got a bit of class, he's a good squad player, he'll give it his all, but Origi, he's just fat and terrible. He's no footballing ability. He can't he's not even good in the air. Like do you think when he comes on you're just gonna start whipping balls in the box? But I hate him. Sorry, this has gone on a bit of a tangent about Minamino, but yeah, Minamino, he went and got the goal against Newcastle at the weekend. Great finish. Hopefully he has a good loan spell there and comes back, get his name in the squad, but
3: yeah, it's not good seeing him go. Devok club legend and don't worry, nobody can deny he's a club legend. Three shots, three goals in that Champions League campaign, but he's just uh, he's he's not been great um the last two seasons and I just I remember watching the Burnley game, he was one of them with the goalkeeper and he just fucking Smashed it for some reason. I just I used to piss myself laughing. I was like, why Why is he hit that so hard? Oh, a lot of love for the man, but for luck. Uh, Minamino, even they watched him there at the weekend. He just looked far more productive with the ball.
2: Yeah, like that's the ideal scenario, isn't it? He gets seventeen games the good Premier League side or however many it is. Comes back to us and. Is the first name on the bench, but you still want to, see, and hopefully there is more games from. But it does strike me as poor business. Like Wolves are sniffing around a Regi, then they've got uh in. Is it a uh, Willian? Willian Jose from Willian Jose. From yeah, from so League. that's obviously a better option, but it means we've seen what what he'll do. So no one's really sniffed around a Regi, so we just kind of were stuck with him. Which says an awful lot, doesn't it? That's really not great. So hopefully we don't get any more entries to the front four and we can bring back Jota because uh, that's not a great bit outgoing business, in my opinion.
1: So in terms of, for, for me and Amino, what would you rate that signing from Seth Hampton's point of view? I'd probably go like an eight and a half out of ten. I think yeah, he's it's a great quite a good player. Ten. He came out of nowhere,
0: really. I Yeah, I'd say like eight and a half, nine, Well leaning towards the nine.
2: I would go 10 but he isn't obviously there's no option to buy if there's an option to buy it have to be a solid 10 it It'll be yeah. very poor business for Liverpool and he's also uh, worked under Hassan Hill before so it's just going to be like a dovetail and it's going to be easy stuff
3: uh, considering they originally went in for Nico Williams and then came out with Takumi Minamino I'd have to go for like a 9 out of 10
1: then another sign in concerning United this time well it's a departure but it is concerning United Jesse Lingard Uh, finally getting a move away from Old Trafford. He went on loan to West Ham, of course. Scored two goals on his debut at Villa Park. And uh, I think Jesse Lingard's a very good player. I absolutely do not want him at United. His race is run at United. And he's kind of just stinking out the place, to be honest. There was just uh, an aura around him that meant that he he couldn't possibly make a comeback at United. But I was always adamant he could go to another club, like at West Ham, and do well. Because... He's quite an intelligent player. His movement's fantastic. His pressing is fantastic. He's quite quick. He's very fit. He's not brilliant with the ball, though, which is why it was just never really going to work out at United. Um, I'm well impressed with the signing for West Ham.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good signing. He's a good lad and he's a bit of a crack. So all the West Ham lads were delighted for him when he scored twice, even though he probably shouldn't have scored twice in his debut, bad keeping for Martinez. But that's besides the point. I think when Ali first came in, he was all right. But then it's got signs of Bruno. Like he's never going to get in ahead of Fernandez into that squad. Like he he, th- he might think himself, oh, geez, if I have a great loan spell, get back in the squad. But he's a bit stale for United. United are moving on probably next season or two serious title contenders and he won't be part of that. But it's a good signing for West Ham who are pushing for Europe and I think you'll be able to help them with that. I know we often talk on this show and
2: in private about the sort of mistake around English players and how their values inflated like past the real worth of just what clubs are willing to pay for them. With Lingard, I think it might be a bit of the opposite. Like, look at how many players West Ham have sort of misinvested in uh, and have sold on for lower fees even recently. And look at all those people that are in and around the squad and people like Ben Rama and you're like, whoa, Moise. What are you why are you not playing Ben What 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 all the West Ham fans did it? Well, they're not saying that now, obviously, checks ball and the midfield sort itself out. But these foreign players almost have a divine right to start ahead of their English counterparts because they're brought in from a nice league that you don't watch, uh, etc. etc. And last time these al- four now. been. Sorry, Ben
0: Rama be was from the championship he played in England.
2: True, but he's you know,
1: he's Algerian.
2: Um so yeah, there's just a bit of mystique around these foreign players that you want them to start in your team. And they've got um people like Fournals, like um look at Lanzini. He's stealing a living off his odd wonder goal he gets. He doesn't do anything else in the season. He puts one so top bins, and he is a good technical footballer, but he's not he's not a West Ham man. Jay Ling's has that potential.
3: Uh just on what Nigel Farage just said there, um, I think it's a good signing for West Ham. I uh, like it's um he just kind of, they needed need someone a little bit more creative in the field or something? I don't know. It just made sense. He wasn't playing at United and West Hamley is that kind of attacking midfield player who's going to... Actually, I don't really know. I don't really know how Jesse and plays. played. I haven't watched him play in like two years. Very good start though.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's a very good sign and I probably wouldn't give it a nine because... West Ham do have some good players so I don't think he's always going to start to be honest but I think probably an 8 out of 10 I think when he, he plays he will give them uh, as I outlined in my sort of opening uh, point on him I think he's a player with very clear qualities and very clear deficiencies in this game but he, he will be a good good signer 8 out of 10
0: Yeah I'd have to agree with you with a, an 8 out of 10 there yeah. I'm
2: going to go for a jet and mock jet 10 out of 10. Let's go. Have that, Ronan. Ha, huh?
3: Brexit means go, Brexit. I'm going to go for an 11 out of 10 just to one up you.
1: That's not allowed. Okay, so then Ronan, so you're oh no. sorry, you only get one vote out of the EU. You can't have it again. <laughs> <laughs> If we're through some other significant signings that maybe we won't really talk about too in-depth, William and Jose to Wolves on loan. They've got a good senior striker there. he Maitland-Niles went to West Brom, which is possibly a mistake on Arsenal's part. It's only a loan a, move.
0: He is a baller. I love that man.
1: He's got to be better than Cedric, right? But anyway, oh, yeah. Cedric is trash.
0: It was.
3: I was very confused when this was being put around Twitter that day because I had no idea what AMN meant. I was I, very confused.
1: Uh, another deal that happened, which I would certainly keep an eye on, I'm not going to talk about him too much because I, I simply don't know an awful lot about him, but Ecuadorian midfielder Moises Caicedo went to Brighton and for all intents and purposes, it looked like he was off to United at the start of the window, it looked like it was going to be a done deal, but United plugged the pulled the plug in the deal and didn't want to get it done for whatever reason, but he is highly rated. So he's one to keep an eye on at Brighton. And then just the last one I want to talk in a little bit more in depth is Martin Udegaard to Arsenal on loan. Again, a lot of loan signings. It's a bit of a theme on, in in the segment, but, um, what do you make of him? Because I I think it's a deal that Arsenal had to do because they just need someone creative, but I don't know if he's the right player to really throw in when Arsenal are so unstable. And, um, I'd probably give it a seven out of ten because he's a good player and a creative player is something that Arsenal desperately needed. But I'm not really convinced he's going to be a success per se.
0: I think it's a very Arsenal sign and they're looking for a direct replacement for Özil. And obviously Özil went to Fenerbahçe, as Hugh as he would say. But for those who don't know, it's Fenerbahçe. He's gone there. Yeah, Odegaard. Like yeah, he's all right. I think. Arsenal fans will probably expect a lot out of him like he's skillful, he's a grand midfielder but the pace they play in the league is completely different to the Premier League so I don't know how he'll adapt in a short loan spell so I'm going to give this a 6.5 out of 10
2: uh, I am not too enamoured by Odegaard I was looking at the Villa game and Saka was forced into the left back which is horrible like my guy Saka FPL's Stan obviously but uh, he is just a serious player he's just a great individual I love looking at his game with the gross he puts in he's so dangerous and he's just stuck to that team like a tontack, he's just in there. Irreplaceable. And it, it it was at one stage it was Willian, it was Saka, and it was someone else in the left. And Pepe was out on the right. Can't remember, but they, they had overloaded that left side with three players and then a Bamian inside, and none of them could do a thing. They were all just tripping over themselves. They didn't know what to do. And then Odegaard just offered that little bit something different through the middle. So I think Arteta is still trying to find that balance of the side and maybe Odegaard's the answer. So uh, I'm going to go for a seven what's the space.
3: Well, I'm going for like a five out of ten because I'm convinced Odegaard's a myth. He's been about for about 10 years and nobody's actually seen him play football. Just, I, he don't, He's done nothing since he signed for Real Madrid. Um, that's probably just me being ignorant because I don't watch the Liga. Um, a
1: little bit, I think. Yeah, I, think he actually, I, Dad, I think he did yeah. actually play
3: well at Saucidad. So whatever, but... Nobody's seen this man play. He's a myth. 5 out of 10.
0: James has seen him play. He saw him play last week, mate.
3: <laughs> uh, as did I. Good joke, Good joke, mate. <laughs>
1: Sorry, you know what? I was trying to unmute myself. I'll edit this out. Uh, as did I. And uh, I think there's probably some signs that Arsenal are getting a wee bit better. Pepe actually looks decent on left wing, which is hey, not hey. something I would have... I would have thought, to be honest. And, uh, you know, Odegaard, he's, he's a good player. You get him with inform Lacazette, maybe Aubameyang finds his feet. You know, Arsene, that could work out. But um, I'm sitting on the fence a little bit with 7 out of 10 because uh, they're a bit dysfunctional, really, aren't they? But moving on to next segment, the prediction segment. Uh, as if you don't know, or maybe you, you may know if you've listened to podcasts before, this is a segment in which we predict the upcoming games, and the winner of the prediction league wins a random football jersey, or well, maybe not quite random, but a football jersey, courtesy of the other three. And if we're looking at the league standings in the predictions, at this stage, Ronan, you are you are well bottom. Uh, you got zero points for a second week running. You're on forty-seven, <laughs> then uh joint uh second or third i suppose second uh me and michael were both at, on 56 and james is on fifty eight because next oh it's close five points this week which is oh nice you know Big, so I large. mean everybody's still in contention at this stage but Ronan is eleven points off James. Um I would like a recount. <laughs> right so I mean is into... one
0: one fifteen point swing and you're back in it.
1: Right so look at it into the weekend's upcoming games are back into a bit of normality really because the FA Cup was midweek so you know we've got a, a weekend of Premier League games to look forward to Leicester at home to Liverpool it's an interesting one I'm going to sit in the fence here a bit. I'm going to go for a draw because Leicester have been very good this season to be fair but they seem to be slowing down a little bit which is to be expected considering they have a small squad Liverpool it's kind of hard to know they look like they were getting better and then lost a couple of games the centre-max might come in. Maybe they won't. So it's very hard to know, I think. Uh, so I'm going to say 1-1 at the King Bear.
3: I'm going for 6-0 Leicester. I just hate watching us at the minute.
2: It's almost as if you're tanking your chances at winning a jersey, Rowan.
3: Yeah, You you want to
0: lose, Rowan. If this
2: comes off, do we give them double points? Uh, that is very audacious. You no, know, you've so had enough
0: outrageous seen. predictions, James, and we they weren't come going to give you any clearly,
2: clearly, they come off for me. Um I am going to go for a 2-0 Liverpool win. We're going to be breathing. We're going to be cruising. Like We're going to be yo-yoing. As per, I think uh, Jota comes back in this game and looks lively. I guess one or two, calm as you like.
0: I've been thinking about this one, but I don't know yet. Maybe at the time I finish talking, I'll finally come to my decision. But because we have Champions League during the week as well against Leipzig, the main focus to be on that. Like you might see Klopp resting players, but I'm I'm gonna go with the, the positive sense from a Liverpool fan with a three-two Liverpool win. And
1: then the next game, half five on the Saturday, another very good game uh, on the Saturday, City at home to Spurs, and I'm pretty confident that this will end three-one to City. It's gonna go three-nil, but with Kane and Son, there's always a goal in Spurs, but no more, really. They're looking pretty poor at the moment. City are destroying everything in their way. It's the he had. 3-1 C. 2-0 yeah
3: uh, 4-0 City, I think. I don't know. Um, City of God, Spurs aren't. That's my two cents on it.
2: It's going to be 1-1 this game. It's going to be a rare glimpse into City dropping points, which is going to be ultimately meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but they do seem to come unstuck quite a bit against Tottenham and the Mourinho Magic it is a big, big effect. It doesn't have much magic at the minute, granted, but um they can't seem to get goals randomly against Spurs. They're going to hit
0: all sorts of woodwork, and it's going to be 1-1. I can see Spurs going up early in this game, and then City attacking, and then a break. So 2-0 Spurs. The, in recent times, anyways, Spurs and City has been quite an enjoyable matchup, so I'm looking forward to this one.
1: Next game, another Decent game to be fair. Good weekend of games this time around. Arsenal at home to Leeds. I find this one quite difficult to to decide. Really, Arsenal by their standards have had a poor season. Leeds have been largely pretty brilliant, um, but against more sort of physical, sort of counter-attacking teams, like you've seen against Everton, the likes of United and stuff, Leeds can come unstuck. So I'm going to go with a two-one Arsenal win if they play. To their strengths if they play pragmatically on the counter. I know maybe you, your ego might hurt a little bit having the counter at home to a team that got promoted last year, but uh, they need to play for their strengths. And I, I think Arteta is probably sensible enough to do that. So I'm going to go with 2-0 or 2-1 Arsenal win at the Emirates.
3: I'm going to go for a 2 all draw. Both very good counter-attacking sides. Um, these have been good form in front of goal recently, Uh, Jack Harrison my man, he has scored quite a lot of goals recently Uh, that's gone under the radar a little bit I think Uh, Rafinha's playing brilliant and Bamford's having a very good season Um, but I feel like Arsenal will two losses on the bench Arsenal will need to get some sort of results so I can see his end of the draw.
2: I'm going to go with the same as Roland, I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw, I think like you say, Rafinha is just different class for 17 million. Meli is going under the radar. He's my FPL man. To your Harrison, bonus point magnet. There's going to be no clean sheets in this game. I think Arsenal do need to play to their strengths. Bit of counter-attacking football. Never hurt anybody. Alba needs to show me something this game. We're giving out so much shit to Werner. Like We, we need to see something from on this game.
0: Yeah, and he's not going to get it in this one. Four three leads some goals in this one. They, the attack and flair of Bielsa, he mightn't be as good in the defensive side, but I can see this Leeds squad seeing this game out.
1: Then the fixtures start to get a little bit worse. You know, West Brom against United wouldn't be one that I'd usually pick, just because you know United against West Brom, you'd probably expect us to beat them. But uh, I have selected this fixture at the Hawthorns. I'm going to go with two one. To United because I think the physicality of a Sam Allardyce team, they've got a big Senegalese striker Diagnan now, I think he's going to bully Lindelof or whoever's at the back he's going to score a goal but um, United's individual quality should be enough to get us over a, a pretty poor West Brom team so I'm going with 2-1 United at the Hawthorns.
3: I think this is just going to be a carbon copy of the reverse fixture just a very uninteresting 1-0 United win um, Fernandez scores a penalty or something I'm going to go for 4-0
2: United, uh, and it better be Fernandes Rashford assist. Fernandes goal, Rashford assist. Reverse, reverse, reverse all the way through. Just tap out the FPL. 4-0 United looked at the Spurs game. West Brom, unlucky. They had about three offside goals, which was remarkable. So if they can stay onside, they might be able to do something against United,
0: but I don't think they can. So, uh, yeah, 4-0. I'm also going to go with a big United win but even bigger 5-0 United they were incredibly impressive against Southampton just ripped them to pieces and I think it'll be much of the same against West Brom I don't think the Sam Alvice will be able to see this one I think he's getting slapped
3: There's eye for Cullen here because every time Mixer predicts someone to get hammered they end up winning
0: I said 5-1 United against Southampton or 5-0 they won 9-0 so shh
3: you also said liverpool would be may you're, win on like you're, on Villa. you're on the bottom you're on the bottom you're on the bottom you're on
1: the bottom yeah the three of you is predicting united to keep a clean sheet you'll never learn okay so the last game everton at home to fulham uh, two team well everton you know obviously are pretty quality side and fulham show have shown quality at times this season but i don't know i'm just going to go with a pretty conservative 2-0 everton I don't. I, you can't really ever predict Fulham to get anything. No disrespect, but the quality is just not really there, uh, even though they, I think they probably got promoted too early because I think Scott Parker was doing some good things there. But um, yeah, 2-0 Everton in that one for me.
3: As Scott Parker's biggest fan and advocate on this podcast, I'm very disappointed by what Cullen has just said. It's probably the worst thing someone said about Scott Parker on this podcast. So in spite of that, I'm going to say 3-1 Fulham.
2: Not going to elaborate there. Nope. Fair. That is your entitlement. I am going to go for a 1 0 Everton win. I was fairly impressed with the comeback that they mustered against United. I think they'll get a win here. It'll be pretty routine, fairly pragmatic. So, uh, I think Scott Parker's sides have been good against the likes of Chelsea, Liverpool. You know, they've been quite unlucky picking up some points we wouldn't expect them, as is the case with many sides of the season.
0: Uh, so, yeah, we'll just go for a 1 nil Everton win. I think after getting his sniff of goals against United, um, making Connell very angry indeed over the weekend, Calvert Loon, he's going to come back and he's going to get some goals. It's going to be 4 1 to Everton in this one. Scott Parker, unlucky buddy, but Everton are winning here.
1: Yeah, 4 1. I could actually, I could very much see that scoreline happening to be honest with you but I'm just going to stick with the 2-0 just to not confuse things but that just about wraps up the podcast for this week so if you're watching on streaming platforms we'd hugely appreciate if you subscribe or rate us whatever you can do on the platform you're watching on if you're watching on YouTube Uh, liking and subscribing is always massively appreciated and uh, commenting any thoughts any questions you can get in contact with us on our twitter or instagram if you have questions for the podcast suggestions any feedback at all is always very welcome and once again thank you for listening to the podcast we'll be back next week
3: Network.